Welcome to Choir Talks. My name is Greg O'Neill. I'm the worship pastor at Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Madison, Mississippi, and I'm so glad that you're joining me today to read some scripture together. I've been reading through the book of Psalms, or well, through selected Psalms for the past week or so, and um, today I read Psalm 84, and I, I was reminded of a cool backstory to that song, that psalm. It's a it's a story of redemption. But you have to kind of read between the lines to catch the significance of this psalm. Um, so let's read a little bit of it, and, and I'll show you that redemption story as we get around to it. First of all, I'm reading Psalm 84. You have to read the inscription at the top to understand the powerful background of this psalm. So at the top, at that part that you probably never read or you never really pay much attention to, the inscription says this. For the director of music, according to Giddeth, of the sons of Korah, a song. Uh, director of music, uh, Giddeth is maybe the, the tune name that this song was meant to be sung to. Um, but here's the part I want you to catch. It was written by the sons of Korah. So remember that. We're going we're gonna to fill you in on the sons of Korah as we, as we go along. So here's how the psalm starts. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. I love the psalm writer's anticipation of going to worship or going into the presence of God. Um, and he talks about the loveliness of the dwelling place of God, but he's not really talking about just the the beauty of the temple itself uh, because he says my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God he's really anticipating being in the presence of God so that that really uh, challenged me you know do I have that same anticipation about going to meet with God and uh, how often do I take for granted that I can come into the presence of Almighty God? I mean, in this psalm, it talks about people who made pilgrimages from far distances to get to the temple. Um, in the New Testament and the New Covenant, we don't have to do that. We can meet with God every day, but do I have the passion he talks about here as my heart and my flesh are crying out for the Lord? That challenged me today. One thing to note about the sons of Korah, these psalm writers uh, here from this first part of the psalm is this, that they have an awe of God and a passion for his presence. The next couple of verses are interesting. It says, Even the sparrow has found a home, the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Okay, that seems a little random uh, and weird. Maybe he's talking about, about sparrows and swallows. Um, but I think in his mind, he is picturing the birds that um, have been able to make their nest, maybe at the top of the temple or, or on the temple mount somewhere. And uh, even though these ver birds are like maybe the least valuable of animals, uh, they are fortunate uh, because they can make their home near the presence of God, uh, a place that he has to maybe walk great distance to be near. The sparrows and swallows, they're just a small thing, but they find honor uh, in being 
in proximity to God's presence. I think that's the idea here. It's a statement of humility uh, about from the sons of Korah about how amazing it would be just to be a small thing and yet be in the presence of God. Uh, and then in verse 5, here comes the, uh, the language of being a pilgrim that I had mentioned earlier. Um, verse 5 says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. All right, so here's the image of people from all around Israel uh, making a pilgrimage or a religious journey, a spiritual journey from their home toward the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. This is a thing that was typically done uh, several times a year from uh, for ancient Hebrews. You might remember the stories about Jesus' family when he was a child uh, making a pilgrimage to uh, the temple in Jerusalem with, with Jesus in tow. Um, so just he has this image of these these pilgrims these um, spiritual seekers heading toward the presence of God uh, and as they go there's this growing sense of joy uh, they find strength um, and they are blessed as they head on this pilgrimage um, that made me stop and want to ask you what's it like on Sunday mornings maybe when you ride with your family uh, toward church to spend time in God's presence? Is it an ever-increasing sense of joy as you drive on Sunday mornings? Uh, well, maybe not. Anecdotally, I hear that sometimes that's a grouchy ride. It's the one time maybe during the week when families all have to get themselves uh, ready and on time at the same time in early morning. Uh, and so sometimes that can be a grouchy ride. But, I, hey, I I just want to encourage you from this psalm, uh, maybe there's a way that you can be intentional to begin to point your family toward having an expectancy about meeting with God and about worship uh, as they ride toward uh, the time of worship on Sunday mornings. In verse 6, the pilgrims, it says, pass through what he says is the Valley of Baca. Now that word probably means weeping or sorrow or something similar. Um, and it says that as they pass through this valley of, of sorrow, that they make it a place of springs. Now, this was really a cool thought to me because in the Psalms in particular, springs and in the Old Testament, springs denote a, um, joy. They denote God's presence that brings joy. So in the midst of walking through the valley of sorrow, uh, the pilgrims leave that place as springs or they they have joy along the way um, I think that's really cool a lot of the Psalms talk about walking through a valley of sorrow a lot of the writers are in deep dark places as they write these Psalms but an overall theme of Psalms is that they are pointing us to being worshipers pointing us to praise the God who is the almighty God and so uh this kind of catches that theme you know sometimes as I'm walking through a difficult place uh, it's a place of sorrow and yet my heart begins to have joy because I'm walking toward the one who is who gives me joy the one who is my spring it, my, it reminded me of um, what God said in Isaiah 43 through the prophet he says see I'm doing a new thing now it springs up do you not perceive it I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. 
So here's my thought for you. If you're in that valley of sorrow, the Lord can make it a, a place of joy if you walk toward him, if you seek him out during those times. Now, here's the verse where you can most clearly see the passion for God's presence that these sons of Korah have. It, it's verse 10 to me. He says, or the psalm writers say, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. All right, so here's the thing. Here's the backstory here. Let me catch you up on this whole thing about the sons of Korah. Um, the sons of Korah have a, a history in the Old Testament that you can trace through. Their ancestor was Kohath, uh, and he was from the tribe of Levi. And you might remember that um, when the tribes were um, formed when in, in, in the ancient Hebrews, set, uh, the tribe of Levi was set aside by God to be the, um, the tribe of priests. They weren't given an inheritance among the Hebrews. Instead, their inheritance was was the Lord himself and that they were to be priests forever. And uh, so Kohath's family, in particular, they were assigned in Numbers chapter 4 to be caretakers or carriers of the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. They were not allowed to go inside or touch the articles of worship that were placed inside. They were servants assigned the role of, um, to serve the worship of God at the tabernacle, but particularly by carrying things to be set up. So fast forward to number 16, Kohath's descendant, Korah, uh, was not satisfied with this low position of service. He led a revolt against Moses, and the reason was he wanted his family to take more important roles in service. He wanted them to be at the top of the food chain among priests. Uh, there wasn't a, enough recognition for him and not enough prestige. So he despised taking the role of a servant. Uh, and Moses said to him, Is it too small a thing for you that God has separated you for this service? Boy, that just that helped me to see his arrogance, uh, that God had set him aside for a particular role, but he in his mind and his heart said that's too small for me I need something bigger well if you read the account um, this revolt ends with God sending an earthquake or maybe like a sinkhole that swallows up Korah and the other revolutionaries that are in rebellion along with him however if you read a little farther in Numbers uh, you see that his family wasn't wiped out that he had descendants uh, who grew up to be faithful. And now centuries centuries later, Psalm 84 is attributed to some of his descendants, the sons or descendants, in other words, of Korah. So when the temple is built, God gives them a place of service. And here's what um, the Old Testament says their place of service is. They are to stand at the thresholds of the temple. They are literally the doorkeepers. Uh, so back to this verse, he says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Uh, so it's not a statement of hyperbole that they say, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. They literally are the doorkeeper. 
Uh, and so it's so cool that they are embracing this role that God has given them and called them to fulfill. Um, so here's some takeaways from this whole Sons of Korah thing as evidenced here in Psalm 84. First of all, um, the sons of Korah have an awe of God. They demonstrate throughout this psalm, if you read the whole thing, that they are in awe of God's holiness and power. Um, and they are um, um, expressing this by being faithful in, in carrying out what God has, has asked them to do in the temple. Uh, I think that's that's really beautiful. Um, these sons of Korah, Korah who disdained maybe the holiness of God and focused on his own power and prestige, and yet his descendants have a deep awe for God, which leads me to number two. Uh, a takeaway is that it's beautiful that um, as they are devoted to God, we see that in spite of their family failures and their historical background of their family, um, that they are faithful and that they are uh, have found redemption in the eyes of God, that they are restored to being uh, servants that God intended for them to be in his service, in his worship. Um, that's just a beautiful story of redemption, um, that they are put back into the place very similar to, the, to what they had in the first place before Korah uh, rebelled against God. Um, I, you know, I don't know what your family background is, but there, there's maybe hope in that for you if, if uh, there are difficult things in your family background. If your family background makes you feel less worthy or less able to serve, um, these just want you to consider the restoration that God provided for these sons of Korah. Uh, all right, so here's something else I take away to me is that uh, it's beautiful that the sons of Korah see um, gain fulfillment in the obedience of the small task that that God has given them. Now think back to that whole image of the the swallow or the little bird who has is just a small thing and yet it finds significance because it is close to uh, God. Well that's that's a beautiful picture of these sons of Korah. They're they're giving something that maybe others see as a small thing, being a, a doorkeeper at the temple, and yet um, they are joyful to be faithful to that calling, faithful in the small task that God's, God has given them. Um, because even in the small things, if God has asked you to do it, there is great significance. When I was reading that, I was just thinking about the fact that uh, from a heavenly perspective, I don't know this, but I bet that the people that are the most powerful and the most significant in the kingdom of God are the people that we have never heard of, that we don't even know their names. They're being faithful in the small, quote, small tasks that God has given them in backwards corners of this world, maybe, um, where they're not seen and they're not put on a pedestal. And yet, you know, maybe over years they are, are faithfully doing the small things that God has called them to do, and in so doing, they are being super significant. Uh, my last takeaway about the sons of Korah is there's just there's a humility there. Um, they, over all this time, rather than than taking on their individual names and writing them in the inscription, they just hang on to that sons of Korah. 
Korah was probably their most shameful ancestor, uh, and yet they hang on to his name. Um, they carry this shameful name, uh, and that's that's just a humble thing to me. It's it, they instead of writing their own names at the top, maybe they've hung on to this name to hang on to the humility that they need to have uh, before the Lord. Uh, you can only wonder if they have kept this name in order to keep themselves right before a holy God. Psalm 84, I didn't read the whole thing. Read it if you have a chance this week. And remember the sons of Korah and what we can learn from them. Have a great week.